In this episode, I talked with Yat Su, chairman and co-founder of Animoca Brands, which is a major crypto gaming company, and Benjamin Sharbet, co-founder and CEO of Darewise, which is developing a game called Life Beyond. We talked about the relationship between traditional gaming and crypto gaming, how games are not just entertainment but communities, how we can move from value extraction to value creation by making players into stakeholders, and how Life Beyond is trying to accomplish all of this. So give it a listen and let me know what you think. You can always contact us on Twitter at coinpost underscore global, which is also where you can join these spaces live. All right, I hope you enjoy this one. GM. 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 GM Radio. Okay, GM everyone, welcome back to GM Radio, CoinPost's Twitter space and podcast series interviewing the most meaningful projects in crypto. I'm your host, Bradley Lowen, and today I'm joined by Yat Su, co-founder and executive chairman of Animoca Brands, and Benjamin Sharbet, co-founder and CEO of Darewise. Animoca Brands is a game company and VC investor working to advance digital property rights, and Darewise is an Animoca subsidiary developing a Web3 play-and-earn MMO game called Life Beyond. GM fellows, welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome, and uh, thank you for having me. Hello. It's our pleasure. With you. How are you guys? I'm great. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, maybe first off, since uh, you both have such interesting backgrounds, could you give our listeners a bit of info on yourselves and uh, how you got to what you're doing now? You want to start, Ben? Sure. Thank you. Thank you for, for giving me the, the spotlight. <laughs> uh, very pleased to be here with you guys. Uh, so here is Benjamin. I'm the, the co-founder and CEO of, of Dalewise. Uh, Dalewise is a subsidiary of, uh, of Animoca Brands, uh, acquired in 2022. I've been a game developer for over 10 years now, mostly uh, um most of my career, I worked in in, in the AAA games industry. Most of most of it at Ubisoft uh, at various positions, including being the game director of Assassin's Creed, uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag back in the days. So, and uh, and we we uh, we caught the the Web three train. Uh, I'd say a bit later than some, but still pretty early in 2021 when we decided to. Uh, to bring life beyond the game that we were developing uh, to go uh, to go on chain, and, and this is when we met Yat and uh, and got really excited about the opportunity to to join the Animoca Brands family. Yeah, and uh, yeah, my name is Yat. I'm chairman and co-founder of Animoca Brands. Uh, Animoca Brands sort of caught the NFT and Web three bug really about five years ago with CryptoKitties. So we were fairly early. I think we're most known by a lot of people for our prolific investment style in the Web3 world today, numbering actually, frankly, almost 400 portfolio companies at this point. But we're really an operator. Uh, and, and what we mean by that is that we're actually a company that is helping build companies into the Web3 space. One of our early thesis points was, you know, we felt that, you know, all gamers in the world will ultimately want to own their digital stuff. Uh, which they don't at the moment. You know, there's like 3.4 billion gamers out there. Uh, and we started doing this very early on with, um, you know, I guess one of our uh, more well-known brands, uh, which was the Sandbox. Sandbox was a, was a, was a company that we had uh, acquired uh, back in 2018 and um, helped sort of uh, shape them into sort of the um, metaverse blockchain sort of uh, group that they are today. And, and a number of other companies that we've done this as well. Um, and in the past, uh, we also were involved in, you know, early investors in like uh, you know, uh, Maxi Infinity, 
um, OpenSea, Dapper Labs, uh, you know, Wax, Decentraland, and most recently also with uh, Yugo Labs uh, and the other deed and a series of other things that that we're involved in. So we're really hoping to sort of advance the space in digital property rights and uh, sort of deliver, you know, basically what we consider is the next iteration of the web, which is Web3. Yeah, both of you, uh, so much experience in both gaming and in and in on the Web3 side. And I think uh, probably this conversation will focus mostly on Web3. But before we go there, I, I want to linger in the traditional gaming world for a bit. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to think about the history of gaming. But, uh, for example, uh, for me, what comes to mind is that uh, it kind of started with arcades uh, and then it moved to home consoles. Uh, and then it moved online, and then uh, moved to mobile phones. Uh, and all of those different eras or uh, platforms had different uh, upfront costs, different ongoing costs, both for developers and for users. Um, there were different stakes, different appeals, and, of course, different players. Uh, so I'm wondering what you think about the current state of gaming in general, um, what we've improved over time, and uh, maybe also what we've lost along the way, if anything. Well, maybe if I start on this one, I think the the big thing that we see with with gaming is not really just the fact that it is a form of entertainment, and you could argue it was never really truly just a form of entertainment. Where I think externally a lot of people viewed it as such, right? Like, and so I, my my career started in the '80s, <laughs> so I am totally dating myself. Uh, and my first gaming console was the uh, uh, sort of uh, VCS twenty six hundred. And, you know, all I did, although I did get to play on a Pong arcade machine, for instance, uh, one of the things that was common amongst all of them, even up to the point where we are today, is that it was something that brought communities together. Right? When you think about people crowding around an old arcade station, when you think about the sensation that the VCS, which was later followed on by Nintendo and, and Sega, you know, and, and uh and of course, Sony PlayStation, uh, and later on Xbox, you know, it was what they would argue is control for the living room. But really what happened was, is that it brought communities together, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, right? And and that then extended online from a small living room environment where you could, you know, put like maybe five, 10, 20 people in a room and play and have fun and take turns to, you know, the massively multiplayer online space, which is which then happened during the advent of the internet, first with small experiences like multi-user dungeons, where people were just literally sort of sending text messages to, to each other, role-playing as if they were sort of in a, in, a, in a game, but still experiencing a reality that was real for them, uh, to the point where eventually sort of culminating with things like Ultimate Line and sort of World of Warcraft, and of course today uh, with you know other forms of massively multiple experiences that were made possible through the internet and made accessible through the mobile device. Uh, and and then it was really just the march on sort of mass and adoption. Uh, and gaming is one of those areas where industries are built around gaming, but it was born from digital. And this is sort of, a, I think it's very interesting because, you know, we wouldn't have the graphic cards that we have today. We wouldn't have the sort of uh, keyboards and the mice and, and, and the sort of screens that we have today and the big companies today if it wasn't for gaming itself first, right? And so gaming, basically, we think of this as, probably the one of the largest sort of uh, community experiments, if you will, and community gatherers of any, of, any, of any kind. When the mobile phone came about, it didn't actually innovate in terms of uh, creating, making a game perhaps sort of um, more uh, sort of accessible because it was mobile. Because, you know, the Nintendo had already, uh, with the 3DS and so on, had already created 
sort of uh, portable gaming devices long before the mobile phone came about. But what it then did was, was it, it innovated it by providing it with a very simple way to play uh, without having the skill necessary. So it amateurized gameplay. Um, few people realized that maybe 10 or 12 years ago, the gaming industry only had, you know, maybe 500 million people playing, which is still a big number. But, you know, the, the march toward this today with over 3 billion gamers it came because of mobile. It made it accessible because you could start playing games, you know, with, with one finger. Uh, and you could sort of, you know, uh, be a good gamer without necessarily having the same skill. And as all those gamers started coming on board, there is um, there a percentage of those, a pretty big percentage, then started to sort of uh, want to have deeper experiences of gaming, right? So they got, went in from the amateur level and then became, you know, quasi-professional, shall we say, uh, uh, to the point where we, where we are today, which then gave rise to the console industry, making it even bigger, and the general gaming industry and Steam. And, you know, gaming is a $200 billion industry today. It's bigger than movies and, and music combined. Uh, and the advent of Web3 gaming extends that, I think, in a few ways. Uh, the first one, obviously, is that all those gamers out there can now own their digital stuff, which they don't have before. Um, giving rise to capital formation and the benefits of that. But the other thing is it also allows another form of gaming to enter that hasn't existed before properly, which is passive gaming, right? which is not just viewership, but ownership. I can now own something. I don't have to know how to play uh, the game, but I can own it, and I can then have uh, still an interest and a participation, uh, one where I can sort of not have to have that skill, but participate with someone with skill. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's those are some of the areas of evolution which... I think will you know bring the whole world into gaming, uh, which is you know still another couple billion people to go. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the you know over the since since the beginning of gaming has kind of always been a proxy for for something else for some for something bigger, which very often was was built around social around social. Uh, whether you were playing an online game or or even a single player game. But yeah, as yet was mentioning, you know, people would gather in a, around a TV and, and and share this kind of experience, and that's the reason why you know if you if you guys are um, uh, have had the the opportunity to to read or to listen to some of the things that we like to say at Dailywise, when and, and when we talk about life beyond, we we're quite obsessed with this idea of seeing games as now as a destination and and a place where a lot of things can happen. So so the which would mean that the end game is not the gaming itself. It's it's the experience, uh, the experiences that you can enjoy over there. Whether it's of course entertainment and and and, and fun, but also social, potentially earning, potentially education. So there are so many things, um, and and I think this is uh, what we're what Web three is kind of unveiling right now. It's this uh, the extension of what gaming can represent way beyond. The traditional fund that we that we kind of uh, associated with. Yeah, let's uh, let's turn to that then. What um, what Web three gaming can bring that we haven't seen in gaming so far, and uh, especially in the context of, I mean, gamers have not necessarily welcomed uh, crypto or uh, blockchain. Um, involvement in gaming so far, but maybe you could uh, talk about the the problems that you see uh, these uh, Web three or crypto solutions uh, solving uh, in gaming, and and uh, how you think it's kind of the logical next step. Yeah, so maybe just to quickly uh, kick off on, uh, I think the sort of narrative of 
uh, gamers not liking sort of blockchain. And so, so that is really a Western narrative, and it's predominantly an American one. So when you go, for instance, to Asia, uh, you know, the biggest game companies in Korea, for instance, are all in on NFTs and blockchain. In Japan, companies like Square Enix uh, and, and, and Gumi and so on are all basically doing stuff there in that area as well. And we have, have are building out a presence there, too. So, you know, Asia, uh, sort of ex-China, and that's more for regulatory reasons, are basically all in on, on this space. Uh, and in America, though, there's been somewhat of a backlash. And, and our view is that the backlash isn't specifically around ownership which is what really Web3 enables you to do, which is to own digital items. Nobody will object to the idea that you should truly have the rights over the assets that you've earned or purchased in-game. It's the fact that it introduces a kind of uh, digital capitalism, which uh, a lot of young Americans, if you look at the latest Pew Research studies, uh, they show that the majority of young Americans under the age of 30 would now actually vote socialist. Right? It explains the rise of of people like Bernie Sanders, for instance, and the interests there were, I think, frankly, you know, a, a sort of sort of a, a battle for the American soul in terms of socialism versus capitalism, which is one of the reasons why we think uh, that digital capitalism is being resisted on. Uh, you know, events like you know <laughs> FTX and, and and SPF are not helping the narrative, which again is a very Western narrative because uh, it's still in the news uh, most uh, in, in most of the uh, sort of uh, Western news media outlets about what's happening with crypto and the problems around it and everything. Whereas, frankly, uh, you know, where, where we're based in Asia, whether it's Japan or Korea or Hong Kong, you have a few news tidbits, but you know, we've largely moved on from from FTX and and uh, and are basically just building out the space. So there is there is a difference between sort of the two worlds right now. Um, and so that's that's one one thing to consider. And of course, for gamers who don't understand, uh, they look at something like a board ape and they say, well, if this is what it costs for me to play games, and obviously I'm not going to like it. But that's like saying that the entire car industry is Lamborghinis, <laughs> right? which is of course also not true. But that is what uh, that is what people initially see. And so part of the job is to try to educate and sort of make, let people know. But, you know, uh, before I pass it on to Ben, uh, to just generally talk about the benefits of the space, uh, you know, for those you, you may remember, Reddit actually consisted of a community that was largely against NFTs. And then once they got the benefit of of experiencing it through a free airdrop, which is what we think uh, is sometimes necessary to give people sort of a taste of the benefits and the value of that, then, uh, then people started to realize actually it's not quite that bad, and it doesn't have to be you know thousands of dollars items. It could be five dollar items or ten dollar items or less, uh, and and you start to create a different affinity when you have real ownership over it. But uh, yeah, over to you, Ben. Thanks, Yat. I, I think that the I, I'm I'm trying not to crystallize too much uh, my attention on, uh, on this on this story. The reason is obviously not because I want to disregard the feedback from players, but mostly because I always feel like I've already watched this movie when I joined the industry and started working the, on, in, on the free to play uh, on the free to play business of, uh, of Ubisoft. We um, we were kind of a uh, go traveling the world trying to promote this new business model, operational model, and, and being very much welcomed with tomatoes. Uh, everywhere we'd go because um, it was just a, a very typical behavior of you know gamers in general that are kind of against new, new things until um, they started to have really really great experiences to uh, to enjoy. The you know it took. Supercell and Clash of Clans, and took Riot Games with League of Legends, and then people started to 
forget about the business model and they just focused on the quality of the experience. So first, I, I think we'll, we're going to get there. Uh, but of course, these type of experiences, they take some time to build and, and, they're, and they're coming. And I know that Life Beyond is going to be one of them. The, the second thing is that when, when we're talking about NFTs, and I think this is something that Yat is evangelizing very much uh, uh, all the time, it's, it's this very strong focus on ownership. Uh, well, because of the play-to-earn uh, first experimentations, people focused a bit too much on the earning mechanic uh, rather than focusing on the earning. I think as soon as we, uh, we will get the, this combination of really good experiences, and I see a few ones already out there that are in development, but that you can, of course, get a, get a quick, uh, get a short sneak peek. Uh, these combined with uh, the true benefit of owning your content, owning your assets, having this true freedom to do whatever you want with them, then then it will become a no-brainer. That it's basically like before, but better. Uh, but we're but we're just a, a few miles away to get there. Uh, and and so rather than you know trying to constantly trying to uh, address the feedback and by like debating, I think we just need to you know, get get the get the ball rolling and uh, and and deliver like tangible stuff. And this is coming up. I think the one thing that you should expect when Web3 gaming starts to, and it's already beginning, but slowly, uh, starts to become much more mainstream, is that the third order effects, uh, the network effects that construe on top of the ownership of others, is going to create a new sort of um, sort of breed and spawn of, of type of games uh, because the ownership of your things become platforms. right? So if you think about sort of the Web2 games out there, say like a Fortnite, the there is one way to look at it is that Fortnite is a game and a platform and everyone coalesces around Fortnite. The other way to look at it is, which is a Web3 way, is to say there's a community of Fortnite skin owners who basically own the skins of Fortnite and people can build games and experiences on top of the ownership of those, right? That means that, for instance, you would have assets sort of, you know, move from one area to the other. That's what it means to have digital freedom, the freedom to own your assets, to move and transact as you as you wish. Uh, which then allows for these network effects to construe on top of. Uh, and you know that if you look at, for instance, what happened with Sandbox, uh, you have now people who are building experiences on top of the Sandbox but are selling them to third parties, are sort of creating services, metaverse architects, um, constructions. Um, and then these assets can also be used in a universe outside of the Sandbox beyond sort of uh, trading and so on. So, so we refer to it in the industry as interoperability. But what interoperability really means is digital freedom, the freedom to move your assets anywhere you want without someone telling you what you can or cannot do with it. And I think that's the part that sort of will create these um, massive network effects that then create sort of the, uh, a, a deeper explosion of sort of, I guess, you know, people already referred to 2021 as a quasi-Cambrian explosion of NFTs, but, but that came from a very small number. Uh, and, and you'll see that amplify even more because those were network effects amongst, you know, let's call it, you know, uh, millions of people. But when you start sort of amplifying that even larger, which will happen with, with this ownership paradigm, uh, you'll see many more games emerge, many more activities that add value to the original uh, game ownership of these assets. And, and it completely challenges the, the, the relationship, between, completely kind of rebalance the relationship between the developer, the publisher, and the, the users, because... All of a sudden, uh, us developers, operators, have to really make sure we're building the experience to serve the assets. Because again, the assets are not our our property anymore; they're they are the owner's property. 
who are mostly you know users or and, and so it's our it's going to be our job and uh, our mission to make sure that we are creating the system, the game systems the, the game experiences that serve these assets i think it will dramatically change how we interact with our communities and obviously uh, for the greater good of the greater interest of these communities compared to uh, to what we've experienced in the past where you know the kind of a dominating power of the of the publisher sometimes kind of uh, harms a little bit the, the experience of the players yeah let's talk about that uh, a little more the relationship between the developers the publisher and the players um now one thing you we often hear in Web3 is uh, is giving more power to the players, giving uh, ownership to the players. But as a developer, um, what are the what are the challenges of developing a game where you are relinquishing some degree of control to the players and uh, and potentially not having as much of a say in the future of the game as as uh, in traditional gaming? So, I mean, there's there's many. Um, maybe I'll start off, and then <laughs> Ben can give some of his direct feedback. Actually, in the in, in the trenches doing this type of work, right? But one of the things that is obviously different is that you move from you know the idea that game developers and game designers don't have to listen to anyone is a myth anyway, because even the CEOs of these companies have uh, owe their responsibility to one other group, which is their shareholders for the most part. And there's a few companies out there that originally started off with, this is the game I'm building and it's what I want to do. And those are the indie studios. But then they grow to a certain size and they bring in shareholders and they bring in partners. Uh, and they also obviously have to listen to customer feedback, although that's more sort of a, a, in an advisement manner. But ultimately, there's always someone else that they have to sort of, um, let's call it, report into. Um, and the problem is, is that when these companies reach a certain size, the people who they need to report into have only really one goal, which is how much money are you making? What's your profit? Because obviously, as a shareholder, it makes sense, right? You, you, you're invested in this company for really one reason, which is capital return. Now, what Web3 does is that it changes the construct from sort of the classic shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. Because when you own an asset in the game, you're no longer just a consumer as it is in Web2, which your whole role is just to be extracted from, if you think about it. Uh, it's actually you become a quasi-shareholder, right? You, you know, it's like when you own property in the city you live in. You're not a shareholder of the city, but you are a stakeholder. You now have a stake in its success. And the community around you and the leadership of that city has to listen to you as well for you know, mutual success because you have a stake in this. And you can vote with more than just, you know, leaving it, as it were, because you now have a, a, a sort of a financially vested interest of some sort as well, because you, you know, the success of the game benefits you and the decline of the game sort of hurts you as well. So you're kind of part of the community and you're all joined by sort of the same, same spirit um, of what the community is. And so that means that, you know, you now have a community that is called it thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of people who now are stakeholders in your game. Uh, and, and their direction becomes very, very different because they, they their primary motivation isn't going to be, uh, which I think is healthier, isn't going to be about, well, you know, do I make the most money? In fact, their primary motivation is going to be the first reason they joined the game. 
how can I make this more fun, more sustainable, maybe more, maybe more equal, or maybe more sort of, you know, uh, maybe you know other areas of, of of entertainment that they think is important, or in generally speaking, they would be more interested in the health of the community rather than the extraction of the community because they themselves are part of it. So my my broad view on this is that I think Web three gaming is such a better and stronger paradigm for both the gamer and the studio involved because they get direct feedback from people who are passionate about this, right? Now we see lots of gamers who are passionate, but they are powerless to do stuff um, because they don't have any any say in this, which basically with Web3, you empower them to do that. Uh, you know, whether this is through a DAO, whether this is through ownership of land, whether this is through the ownership of many assets that you can sort of help influence and shape. But it does also mean that it creates a kind of political landscape in in the gaming world, um, because because you now have to obviously sort of uh, wrangle with these things, which is a challenge if you've never done this before, which means that the leadership of these type of companies uh, are no longer just, I make a product, right? And in fact, I think we've moved on from this kind of world where you can only focus on one thing anyway, but that's basically one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest struggles I think traditional game companies have, which is now they have to sort of listen to all these voices and be appreciative of them rather than just say, thank you, but no thanks. And we'll just move on and do whatever we think is right, uh, which is of course um, sort of been a bit of a scourge in our industry uh, in web two, um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So all of this, of course, is, is is so true. And maybe to 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 complement just a little bit, the the challenges are are there. I see two big challenges that I would that I would mention here. The the first one is obviously that you're dealing with with a with a community of stakeholders uh, who are not just uh, participants, but they are they are owners. They are they are really part of the the value proposition. Uh, the value chain so you have to consider that which is obviously uh, an additional challenge but also such a such an opportunity and so rewarding because you get to enjoy the benefit of, of building this really uh, this really trustful relationship the the second challenge that you have is the immutable nature uh, of nft um, but again it's in when you, it depends what standpoint you take, because from the, the standpoint from the players, it's obviously uh, an amazing thing, you know, to to know that you're um, the the asset that you that you worked so hard to get. Think of what you know happened to you when you were playing an MMO and your your class got nerfed uh, because for some reason it was poorly designed before, and so that that puts more more. Responsibility on the shoulders of the designers to to think ahead uh, and to build more robust designs. But again, all of this compared to uh, compared to the benefit uh, is not. And, and if you look at the Dareways team, for instance, today you can look at our creative leadership. Um, mostly, people worked on games like Assassin's Creed, Ghost Recon, uh, all of the Fable series, like all these very big AAA franchises. They they they, they moved here. Uh, they moved in this space, really excited about this opportunity to have this very, very balanced relationship with the community, where all the decisions they make have a direct impact. They can, they can, you know, really build this relationship, enjoy the the, the rewards of this relationship. And the, the second thing is that, to be honest, um, it 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 really creates the opportunity to build these businesses in a very different way. Uh, the the comparison that I always take is. 
you know, back then when we were building these AAA games and these uh, free-to-play games, we had to bring millions of players um, through, you know, tactics that were more or less uh, acceptable, even sometimes ethical, you know, when you, and, and, and to a point where uh, when you look at the board Ape, for instance, the board Ape Yacht Club community, you know, it's maximum, of course, it's not even that much, but 10,000 holders, uh, and you can still build a very, very, very valuable and, uh, you know, profitable business with a, with a, a very reasonably sized community. So that, of course, Gives a lot of opportunities. Not to say that we uh, that we have to remain at ten thousand people in like Vion, for instance, but more that then the the decision making process is very different. You're not just trying to uh, milk whatever milk whatever uh, player pool you ha- you can uh, as much as possible, but instead you can build something for a targeted audience, build it with this audience, and and really create something like Eve Online, for instance. Uh, that managed to have such a beautiful service for 20 years with 100,000 MAU, which would be, which is a very much of a, an, a complete outlier in the whole uh, Web2 world, for instance. Yeah, uh, a lot of good points there. I think especially uh, the idea of the players becoming uh their interests becoming aligned with uh, that of the investors, and I guess the the stakeholders becoming the shareholders in a sense. Um, on the flip side, uh, I want to talk or ask you about uh, when you when you do introduce the, this uh, idea of actual asset ownership into a game, and you have you have in-game tokens, you have NFTs. Uh, these things have a price; they have secondary markets, um, even beyond the game and beyond the control of the developers. And then, of course, these markets get linked to the wider economy, the wider crypto economy, and then in turn to the the global economy. So then uh, in a year like 2022, when everything is going down, maybe um, previously as a gamer, you would, let's say, uh, you got laid off from your job, um, your your investment portfolio is down bad. You want to just go home and and uh, lose yourself in some games, but then now you log in and you see that all your in-game assets are also just uh, tanked. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the the maybe the the dangers of of linking the game economies and real economies, and uh, what we can learn from this year and uh, what we can do in the future. Sure. Can, can so, I, uh, can, go ahead. Can I can I, can I start on this one? Yeah, thank you. Yes. So, I, I think this is exactly. Uh, so, my perception is that is, is of the exact opposite. When we, the opportunity with Web three is to bring in people who have a very different agenda, uh, and to, in in the form of like a free market economy to kind of really uh, uh, bring supply and demand together. Um, when you play an MMO, and I think it works very well with MMOs, you know, when you play MMOs, um, it's a very time, it's usually a very time consuming activity. Uh, but some people have money and some people have time, but they can't really trade these two resources that are basically the two most valuable resources in the world today. Um, and, and this is, this was always happening on like black or gray markets before, now we can absolutely provide this. So you took the example of, you know, I have no revenue, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Um, 
well, I can still play these games because this game, and especially with the new generation of Web3 games, there is no entry barrier. You know, you, you get to, um, to, to really um, participate without ownership. We, we dropped NFTs to over a million players uh, free uh, so that they could already start enjoying. And that was not even a requirement to join the experience. So I think we get, you know, you get, you get to participate, to create value in this world, and you will find uh, like a, potentially a counterpart that can be interested in the value you're creating and reward you for this. Uh, you can, you don't have to, but you, I, I don't think that we're gating the experience right now. And this is what is happening. And this is what is very interesting. I think just to echo uh, some of those points, I guess the thing about uh, gamers, I think, is that, you know, sometimes the term ignorance is bliss sometimes comes into sort of bearing here. Because really all that Web3 gaming does is it opens up the transaction layer to the world to see you know, one of the criticisms that a lot of gamers uh, in the West have around this is to say, well, I don't want my game experience to be financified. You know, I don't want to sort of sort of, uh, sort of, uh, be introduced into sort of this digital capitalism. But the reality is that every gamer is already heavily financified. They just don't know it, right? I mean, again, the gaming industry is larger than the music and the movie industry combined. Uh, this year, over $200 billion of that, right? Uh, and and nobody has any idea except the game studios exactly where all of those profits and value goes to because they're basically extracting. You know, you make the comment around sort of going in and sort of I'm, I'm you know uh, I've had a bad day at work and I want to just enjoy a game. Yes, you can you can do that in Web3 gaming and you don't necessarily have to invest uh, or buy any assets because you can still play the game. Because but what, what the difference though is that you can play the game. And actually be rewarded for that time because you're contributing to the network effect. I mean, the flip side, if you look at, for instance, you know, one of the pioneers in this space, which is Axie Infinity, has demonstrated that, you know, through the rental arrangement between what Ben described, between the ones who have capital versus the ones who have time, is that you can actually, you know, whether you want to actually really make it a side hustle, is you earn value from the game because you're adding to the network effect. One of the things that most people don't realize about the gaming industry is that it's fueled by a small percentage of people who pay. You know, for all of you here who have sort of who might play games, when was the last time you actually paid for your game? Well, you haven't probably because 97 to 99 percent of the world don't ever pay for their games. But the one to two to three percent, they actually pay a lot. They're the ones who are driving the billions of dollars. But why do they pay? They pay because they have a community that they can compete and play with who play for free. So what's really happening is, is that every person who's playing for free is actually contributing to the network effect and is inducing someone on the other side to pay, except you don't know how much they paid. You also don't know what value you've created. And so what Web3 does is it sort of elucidates that. It puts it forward and says, okay, you as a player have contributed $1,000 to the network effect because, you know, 10 people started to pay because of your participation in the game. Maybe you're a great community member. Maybe you play very really aggressively. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're a great healer in your MMORPG. Whatever the reason is, one, a person has paid because of the actions of another person who did not pay. And so this is, a, this is how value gets translated across. So I would say it's quite the opposite. It creates that sort of a transactional sort of benefit of knowing what it's worth. And then whether you actually choose to sort of get paid for it or you get it in kind uh, is up to the player who receives the benefit. And, and maybe I can share a data here that was never really officially confirmed, but I remember back then when I was working on another company, we were doing some research trying to understand the depth of this like black market around gold farming and power leveling services, which is basically what 
he had just described when he when he was talking about um, uh, the, the network effect and how how uh, every individual was contributing to it, and our data was was showing us like value up to like a billion dollar just around just on World of Warcraft. So we have been in this world for a long time already, but we had to go through back doors and, and, and you know, edgy, shady, shady websites to, to enjoy that. What, what, what Web3 is doing is really make it accessible to everyone to be able to uh, freely arbitrate between, you know, leveraging his, her, his, her time on his, her money. And, and and obviously, when I put time, I of course also include skills, uh, expertise, experience. But but that is really the opportunity that, that this is bringing right now to the table. I really like that point that uh, the gaming industry is already heavily financialized, and uh, what Web three is doing is just kind of bringing that into the light and uh, allowing people who who weren't benefiting before, even though they were massively contributing to the space in terms of their time uh, and interaction with other players, now they may be able to be rewarded for that as well. Now, you mentioned Axie Infinity, and uh, it struck me as interesting because uh, some of the things you mentioned, like uh, like having no uh, cost barrier to entry, um, not needing to, uh, for example, buy expensive assets to enjoy the game, um, it seems like uh, that's different than what was the case in... Uh, uh, in Axie Infinity, where you, uh, especially in the middle of the bull market, you uh, had to pay maybe over a thousand dollars to get three axes to start playing, and there was the uh, there was the um, the scholarship model where you could rent assets and, uh, and make money that way. But then you're still paying a significant portion of your fees or the the money you make to the the ones renting you the assets, and uh, and kind of uh, grinding all day, and uh, and then being rewarded in a in a token uh, that uh, eventually lost a, a huge amount of value, rather than in say a, a stable coin or a fiat currency. Uh, do you think um, the, where we're at now in Web three gaming has learned some lessons from that experience? Um, do you think yeah, of some necessary changes were made? Yeah. So first of all, I think what Axie really demonstrated was through the use of the token a way to basically translate its value, which then, because it had this free market effect, did sort of run ahead of itself. If you remember, 2021 was a completely different year from 2022, right, in terms of the market dynamics of crypto, obviously, right? Um, so, so, but what it did do, and I think one of the reasons why tokenization broadly is so powerful, regardless of whether the payout is then in the stablecoin or not, is the fact that you can then translate what that time was worth, right, and and therefore know what it is. So even today, you know, back in back in the bull run, sure, you were making hundreds of dollars a month playing Axie if you were a player in the Philippines. Today, you know, it's more five, ten, maybe fifteen dollars. So it's significantly lower than what it was uh, a year ago. But for a place like the Philippines, it is still significant money. So it's all relative, right? It's, it's not something from a work standpoint that you would want to do in the U.S. You'd do it for enjoyment. You wouldn't do it for work. But in some places like, like Ecuador, for instance, or the Philippines or Indonesia, that becomes uh, valuable, um, val still valuable money for you. Uh, now, the thing is that the time for the incentive stays the same. The only thing is, is that the way that the money flows, because it's transparent, is different. So what a Web2 game studio does is, it brings in the free players through marketing and advertising, creates a network effect, 
and then induces you know the one or two or three percent to pay a significant amount of money, which actually turns out to be tens of thousands of dollars, or in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars over their lifetime. Right? If you just search sort of you know basically free-to-play whale gaming, which is basically where the percentage goes into, you'll notice they spend a lot. In, in China, they have this thing called VIP gaming. VIP gaming basically is where you know you are literally given a set of account managers who basically sort of play with you because this person joins the game and literally would drop thousands of dollars every time he participates. That's kind of the environment that, you know, not every game company does this, by the way, but this is something that's become fairly fairly um, sort of common in, in, for instance, China free-to-play, particularly MMORPGs. So, so though the only thing is that the person who's playing along with them doesn't know how much this person has paid. It doesn't know the value of these things. Whereas in, in a game like Axie Infinity, regardless of whether the Axie is worth, you know, you need to play as thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars, he now knows that he's playing with an asset that's worth thousands of dollars. He also knows that this asset earns the owner of this asset, you know, let's call it $100 or $200 or $500, which allows that player then to demand a fair rate. He can say, okay, I'm a really good player. I'm going to make more value for you. But I want 50% of the revenue share, or I want 70% of the revenue share, as opposed to not knowing at all what it's worth. Right? So then the intermediaries come into play, like the guilds, who are not part of the gaming ecosystem directly. They don't build the game, but they create roles and functions that add value to the game as a function. Right? And then because these assets have value, someone like an NFTFI or PawnFi comes along and says, oh, well, if I know that this Axie is worth $1,000, or this board ape is worth $100,000 or something, then I'm willing to give you, for instance, I don't know, 50 cents on the dollar as a loan, should you need it. And another network effect was created. So, so really, I think of, uh, of this as uh, one other area that we're excited about this is that, that you know, while we are obviously dealing with a free market, you're also introducing financial systems uh, into a broader community that actually doesn't know anything about money. That's one of the reasons why I think we have resistance, particularly in, in the West, because their knowledge about money and the knowledge about sort of how value and, and is generated, what is sort of risk-taking and so on, is very misunderstood because we don't teach any of that at school. And as a result, you know, we actually create a, a sort of inadvertent uh, financial exclusion. So I think I think there are some big big benefits here. Now one of the things also is that when you join a web3 gaming community you do have to think about the ethos of what that community wants to do. Axie Infinity for instance are very sort of Milton Friedman libertarians. So they don't believe in any kind of market intervention. They think that the market is is will determine its true nature and they're very proud of that and there's nothing wrong with that. Which means however that Axie is in sort of indirectly saying that volatility is a part of our game, right? Which is subject to criticisms by some people, but is basically the way that they operate. This is true for countries, by the way, right? There's some countries out there that believe in sort of absolute free market capitalism. And there's some countries who are much more socialist and believe more in social democracies and how it needs to be controlled and more market interventions. You as a gamer can choose which environment you want to live in is the point because you can actually see that for yourself. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really interesting point. Um, that uh, there are different communities. I mean, even like you said at the beginning, that gaming is really about communities, and each uh, not only each game, but each community has a different identity and ethos. And um, certain players will gravitate more towards different communities. Uh, but I guess uh, the the good thing is that it's a lot easier to jump between gaming communities than it is to move from say one country to another. Uh, ben, uh, did you have anything you wanted to add on that? I think one one thing that I would add was is also that um, 
now when you when you look at the designs of the upcoming Web3 games, and I'm going to focus more on, on what we're doing at Dell and Life Beyond, is also that you, uh, I, I think we're now also trying to take all that, uh, you know, all those experiences into account when we're designing our, our whole like economic, like economic system and tokenomic system in particular uh, around the token by making sure that, uh, you, you know, you need to serve all of these uh, stakeholders. You need to serve the players, uh, the one who spend a lot of time, the one who are more going to spend uh, less time, but maybe more money. Uh, you need to serve the, those, these, the investors, you know, speculators are not, they're not all bad. They also bring liquidity to to the market, and so it's good for you as a player who hold hold assets, who can always find someone to purchase it, uh, and so in in a way contribute to the value. But now that I have said that, the having tokens that address different needs are also important, and that's why uh, having a dual token system in this world where one is very much inflationary and a token that is really used as a currency to power transaction between players that you mentioned the, the idea of a stable coin which we like very much at Dellwise where we want to have a coin that has uh, really this uh, kind of utility to facilitate transaction between players and should not be uh, speculative asset and of course we you need to have this class, kind of class of asset for investors uh, for for those who want to invest in, in assets that are going to appreciate over time. So I think those are the learnings that we're, we're taking and this is even more important for when you build a persistent world um, with like a fully tokenized economy player driven um, and, and and I just think that you know we, we shouldn't be too harsh on those first uh, attempts first uh, I think the, the intention uh, was has always been good, and and I see how the team, especially at Sky Mavis, for instance, how they're working really hard now to uh, to improve their system. So I, I think we also we need we really need to connect this with how young this whole industry is, this whole web three gaming industry is, uh, compared to uh, you know the the volumes and the, the and the revenues that it generated. That's a great point. Yeah, we're definitely in the. Uh the throw things against the wall and see what sticks phase of phase of web three gaming. I think um, let's, let's talk more about tokenomics. Uh, are there things specifically that you've observed um, from past games that haven't worked well, that have worked well um, and things that you're, you're thinking for uh, life beyond and any other games that you're involved in? So I mean, I mean, before I'll have been uh, highlight specifically around sort of life, life beyond tokenomics or ideas behind it. One of the things is that often this gets confused is where is value generated from, right? And and because people don't understand how the gaming industry works, they think this is value that doesn't that comes from sort of supposed thin air, right? Uh, and so I've, I've explained already one area of that value, which is of course the people who play for free actually induce people to pay. So that's one that's one area of value. But one of the biggest other areas of value which the gaming industry today has is the cost of advertising and promotion, which in many cases actually uh, accounts for almost two-thirds of uh, many game companies' bottom line. This year alone, over $110 billion will be spent on the platforms such as Google, Facebook, um, and the like uh, for what's known as app installs, um, which is basically you know user acquisition costs. 
And the thing is that all this money that is being spent, remember, there's also a platform fee that they pay. 30% goes to the App Store and goes to Steam and goes to, goes to Google Play as well. So when that's all done and told, you know, two-thirds or more of whatever the company makes ends up going actually into the hands of these platforms. But how much of that money that these platforms make actually goes back into the gaming industry? We don't exactly see Apple and Google invest in new games, nor do they hire game developers or fund game projects, as an example. And what they really do is just, you know, hoard the money, as they do as a classic capitalist enterprise, and sort of, you know, do other stuff with it, uh, mostly reinvest in things that they think will make money. They don't have to reinvest in the gaming ecosystem because they're not a part of it in, in the same way. What happens in Web3 gaming um, and where that value is generated is that when you, for instance, do free airdrops or ways in which you can earn your NFT assets, you're really taking the marketing dollars that you normally would pay to a platform that then extracts. You actually give it to the players. The players then receive, you know, something could be worth $5, $10, $20, or maybe thousands of dollars, maybe, depending on the strength of that community. And that value, they can choose to cash out if they want to. Or they, if they like the game, they can put back into the system and utilize it, for instance. And that's actually the difference here, because the chances that a gamer who receives value for a game he or she might like to play uh, is much higher, infinitely higher, than giving that money to Apple and Google, who basically literally trans, uh, sort of uh, literally just uh, sort of extract and then uh, and then give nothing back. So that will then give rise to a completely different game economy as a result. So when we think of tokenomics. We we don't think of it in terms of, you know, here's a token and here is, you know, like kind of like the DeFi protocols and we just sort of give you incentive. That's one way to do it. But there's always a cost behind it. Where does that cost come from? And that cost is, you know, it relates to the incentive to pay, but also relates to uh, user acquisition costs. And in gaming, it is a significantly large number, uh, which, which therefore uh, sort of provides some of these uh, underlining of that tokenomics. But there are many lessons to be learned, of course, in the way you do it. One of the weaknesses is that often the value, because it's easy to do, sometimes gets front-loaded. And it's, the, it's, it's, it's almost the equivalent of, well, you know, what would I do if I had a $100 million marketing budget, <laughs> right, for instance, right? Even though it's not $100 million fundamentally because of the token market cap, it might appear as such. And then they start to spend up front. But what they're really doing is accruing forward liability thereafter, right? Uh, which is, again, if you don't have a strong understanding of financial systems, you then run into this problem where you suddenly went ahead of yourself and now you have to play catch up. So managing tokenomics well is obviously a fine balancing act. So maybe to uh, to to add to this uh, to Yat's answer and to go maybe more uh, on on how we're approaching it from like beyond in, in maybe in a in a practical way. So I think the first thing that uh, that I mentioned already uh, is this idea of building an economy in the tokenomics now, where you really differentiate this kind of two uh, like a two token system, where one is really dedicated to. Uh, this utility of powering transaction, which is very important. And so designing a whole system around it to make sure that the, its value remains pretty stable. And so um, that, 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 that kind of keeps the economy at the, uh, at a reasonable level and where we can, of course, act like a, like a central bank to, to help and regulate a little bit this. And so, and this obviously in the interest of all the users, um, uh, us being very neutral in this process, um, and then the second one is a, a token that, of course, provides like very premium, uh, pre premium like uh, 
utilities, but also this opportunity to to uh, to own a, a valuable asset that will increase uh, like an investment vehicle over time. So that's one thing. The second thing um, is this, and, and we're still working on this. We haven't communicated like much around this thing, but the idea of having a, a component uh, in this tokenomics that is very Web2 friendly uh, in terms of user experience. Um, and mostly what it means basically is running very custodial, uh, running this in a very custodial way so that we're alleviating the, you know, the requirement for, for users who are not yet very comfortable with with all the the Web three uh, shenanigans, you know, to create an ad, like create a wallet on your store, your private key, and all this, especially in the current trust climate, it feels like it's important to help onboarding these these users, uh, so we can finally go from from the three million crypto gamers to the three billions. Uh, gamers out there by really streamlining the experience for them, um, getting them, kind of onboarding them in, in like a very Web2 friendly experience and over time um, showing them the benefit of moving things really on like a, a public chain where they can um, you know, enjoy the benefits of decentralization. But that's really our take. Um, and, and I think it will be very interesting to see where what it where, what it brings. You know, when you start combining a very high quality experience with an, an economic system that is very much more accessible than the the ones we see so far in the Web three world, I think we will see dramatic changes uh, in the in the more massive adoption. Yeah, on that topic of custody, how do you balance uh, making it? easy for users to come in. I mean, uh, that's critical for adoption, as you mentioned. Um, but then on the other side, I mean, the the Web3 dream is ownership, and uh, ownership at the end of the day does mean custody. Uh, although, as we've seen, um, even, for example, exchanges that, uh, that urge their customers to take their assets off the exchange and self-custody, users yeah. still won't do it. Um, how do you navigate that? No, we, it's it's absolutely the the end the end goal for us. Uh, we we believe very much in the ethos of Web three, but but we have to acknowledge you know, that it takes time for, for 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 most people to get into this. So the the point right now is that what what has always been a problem for me is the fact that there there are some really good experiences out there. And uh, and a lot of people will you know might not touch them because it requires you to go through the whole wallet ownership stuff, and, and that's really a missed opportunity for me. And that's what we want to address. Um, but by doing so, we're making sure that the uh, I would say the day-to-day -day experience of the game is going to be accessible, but all of the benefits of Web three. Uh, and decentralization uh, will, like, when it comes to, you know, uh, of course, the ability to interact with NFTs, upgrade your NFTs, sell them, um, you know, add, add them or kind of uh, wrap them into another service. Uh, all of these things will obviously not be accessible as long as you remain in the Web 2 part of the experience. And do you will have to eventually bridge to this uh, Web three, Web three area to truly benefit from this, to be able to also do you know stake your assets and stuff. So, but but what I what what I like in this approach is that 
you can still come and play the game. You can still enjoy this really great and fun experience, engage, start to socialize, build a meaningful presence there, and now get uh, you know the right reason for for you to to move on further rather than having this uh, this requirement as a as a kind of a, a you know like a, a a wall that you have to overcome in order to even just start to enjoy the experience i think to echo and to add to that the reality of course is, is that you know even in the state of blockchain full decentralization has yet to occur in, in many areas so I think one has to look at the leadership of the teams involved and their belief in this, because unfortunately, as we have also seen, you know, while we're transitioning from, you know, Web 2 to Web 3, uh, this transitioning process does require a level of trust uh, that, you know, on-chain can solve. But the regular user, you know, struggles to understand this, like, you know, people moving, going to exchanges because it's convenient or something they understand well, then that situation, as we've seen, also gets abused because they gave them custody of these assets and suddenly, you know, because of lack of regulation, they start uh, doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. I think the, the, the sort of common thing that we hear in gaming particularly is this sort of term Web 2.5, right? And, and sometimes I cringe a little uh, when that's said, not because it isn't relevant, but because, you know, it, it's not clear which side of the Web 2.5 you're on. So there's many game companies out there who would advocate for Web 2.5 when they really mean Web 2.4, meaning that they actually don't wish for decentralization, but they do like the money and the value that Web 3 has clearly generated. The average ARPUPER user and a Web 3 user is significantly higher. You know, for all of the things that won't be maybe critical about Axie or Sandbox or whatever, the type of, type of revenue that it generates still is amongst the biggest game companies in the world, despite the fact that it is a much smaller user number, because these users have much more financial potential and awareness and ability to pay because they're basically larger. It's a larger portion. Um, or, so, so, so that's one angle versus are you more sort of, sort of actually Web 2.6, basically someone who is just using it as an onboarding mechanism with the full view of decentralizing the ecosystem, which you then have to sort of look at the actions that someone takes and their willingness to do so and the leadership in question. That's kind of where we are right now because on-chain isn't fast enough for all of the game actions just yet, but we're getting there, right? So I think, I think that's part of um, what, what the community then needs to understand, sort of what kind of a, what, what's your background and what's your belief in this? Because, because I think that's kind of where we find ourselves, because we deal, still need to transition players, um, particularly those who are in the Web 2 world into Web 3, and it's not going to be super simple to say, here, remember your seed phrase and, uh, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. That's part of the tutorials and education and training, but that, that can't be the very first experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you bring up a great point that uh, it's uh, <clears throat> not every company in the space, uh, certainly not every entity that's using uh, Web3 language actually wants decentralization or or even uh, much user ownership. Uh, what what would you say players and uh, investors should look for as the the signs of of uh, a game that is quickly uh, moving towards decentralization? And uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I have an easy one here, even though we haven't we haven't published it yet, but it's coming soon. Um, the first thing for me is look for their the plan. 
from the, the the team behind the project to uh, to bring you know control decision decision making process into uh, into the DAO. Uh, like if there is no plan for a DAO, if there is no uh, clear plan to really share or even to give away uh, the control and the you know the the decision of the future of the game uh, through the DAO, then you should question this. And, and obviously with Life Beyond, this is a very big part of our d- development plan. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that this is something that you should start with. I think, uh, um, as yet mentioned, decentralization is uh, is yet to achieve. And, you know, the um, decentralization must serve a purpose uh, and should not be rushed for everything too fast. Um, in, in our case, we know we have to build a very... Uh, you know, a very good foundation of experience before we can eventually give away this 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 control to to a DAO that will eventually be able to make all the decisions about the future of the experience. So, uh, but that is to me the most most obvious uh, um, kind of a evidence to look for. I think um, to to add to that, one of the things is obviously outside of looking at the team, uh, you know, the white paper and so on, is also look at the history of the team and frankly, also look at who invested in those companies and and sort of how big is that pool of people who really believe in that mission. Uh, and and then of course, you know, just like with anything, I, I say this for for everything with 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 the space. You know, people don't go into sort of just buying a car because they just look at what how it looks like, right? They they try it out, they experience it, they join the Discord in this case, or they they meet people, um, and and all of that basically will provide more context. Uh, you know, when when someone tries a new game, they don't just you know sort of pay for it on day one. Even with games, they play it, they experience it, they 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 try it out. There's many many hours that goes into someone investing in a game which they can do entirely for free before they make that commitment. Right. So so I would say it's exactly the same thing. I think if you're looking at it purely from the speculative perspective, it might seem hard because after all, it's like, well, how do I know if I, if I don't play the game? But the the Web two sort of the Web three game company's focus is about the user that's enjoying the ecosystem. And so that means that for you, if you're interested in the space, but you don't have time to play, then you still need to interface with the players of the game and hear what they have to say, um, and maybe with the investors in question, uh, and then also see how they're rolling out these assets. I mean, there's many telltale signs as well that you can see whether they know what they're doing, for instance. Um, and you know, while this is still exp- grounds for experimentation, um, and there's no sort of hard and fast on, on all of this yet because we're, we're, it's such a nascent industry, uh, th- I think that uh, there's enough people out there in the industry that you can sort of refer to. Uh, and I don't mean sort of classic influences only. I mean sort of, you know, uh, people write papers about it. There's people who have thesis points. There's many people who have documented what they think of as, as, as a good Web3 game. It's actually quite intellectual. Uh, it does take time to try and read it, but it's it's well worth it if you're interested in the space. We've just passed the end of the hour. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, do you have time for a, a few more questions? Uh, sure. Sure. Awesome. Um, I definitely want to give you a chance to to tell us about Life Beyond. So maybe, uh, yeah, give us an overview of that. What you're uh, what you're working on, where you're uh, hoping to go with it, and uh, and where you're at on that roadmap right now. Yeah. Thank you for that. So Life Beyond is really uh, the most ambitious game uh, I've had the chance to work on. It's uh, it, it's it's the new generation of MMORPG that ambitions to become a uh, a gaming metaverse. So, Life Beyond will take you uh, 
on a, on an alien planet a hundred years from now called Dolos, and you embark on this journey to to build a, a new society in this world. This world is full of opportunity, but also uh, full of threats, and and will uh, uh, and will be the, a place for you to together with other other members uh, start once pioneering in this world, facing these threats and trying to overcome them to eventually start settling. Uh, your your presence uh, in a sustainable way and eventually build more advanced uh, economic system and governance uh, to 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 uh, truly embrace the metaverse experience when from the game starts to happen uh, a bunch of other type of experiences that can be uh, more social uh, more uh, around education in other kind of life so another way to put it uh, and it's because because it's been uh, it's been my dream for a long time now with life beyond what we're uh, going to, to to basically deliver over the years is uh, is an additional layer uh, in our own life in, in our lives it's like a fiction where we're going to be able to live um, because it's powered by nfts and blockchain technologies because it has this player-driven tokenized economy uh, we believe that we're going to be able to kind of expand our, our existence from just being purely physical, even though we start being a little bit digital now with social media. But this is going to go f- way further in this type of like alternate reality where we're going to have a meaningful ex- ex- existence. So a lot of things coming up and 2023 is going to be a, a, key, uh, a key year for us as we're going to start delivering um, well, um, a lot of different uh, flavors of this experience beside the, the traditional Unreal Engine gameplay that we already uh, showcased a bit during our uh, our open alpha that happened uh, over the over the summer and September. Uh, very successfully, we had twenty thousand people, and that was a really good experience. Now we're going to also start uh, you know, teasing everyone with like what it feels like to ex- interact with this game world. From the web, from from your mobile phone, uh, and, and of course, with more stuff happening in the um, in, in the Unreal Engine client. So, um, yeah, stay stay tuned and uh, and follow us on our on so on our socials uh, because there are going to be a lot of things coming out. Yeah, sounds uh, very exciting. Um, we've been talking a little bit about how there are some still some uh, technical constraints in the. The blockchain space regarding gaming. Um, I think I saw that you're you're launching first on the Polygon blockchain. I'm curious, uh, what was it about that blockchain that uh, that uh, made you decide to start there? And uh, what do you what do you think in terms of future blockchains? And uh, is there technology that you're waiting for to be developed so you can take the game further? Yeah, p- picking a, picking a blockchain was a was a little bit of a of a daunting task for us when we uh, uh, when we started looking at it, I remember asking Yat very like week after week, like please give me a give me an easy answer. And of course, it was not there was no straightforward like playbook to deal with because uh, there were so many variables. When, for for us, what mattered a lot uh, were a couple of items. The, the first one we wanted to be uh, close to uh, to the uh, the Ethereum mainnet, and so. Uh, for for many for multiple reasons, but uh, um, also from a technology standpoint, we're using an EVM compatible chain that that was very important to us. Uh, obviously, having a chain that already had a very uh, uh, developed community of users, but also developed communities of, of developers. So you know, 
we could we could scale the team, we could um, expand our capacity pretty fast. And and the truth is, um, you know, the relationship that you can build with the with, with the with the, the chain provider as well was very important. We had a such a great um, fit with with the Polygon team. Now that doesn't mean that we were. Uh, you know, considering being exclusive to one chain, and we are still not uh, thinking in, the, in those terms. We we believe very much in being multi-chain eventually. Just that we you need to you need to focus and prioritize things, but we will eventually get there. Now, when it comes to technology, um, the truth is um, we we have already like you know we can't when you build a game, and that's a very important thing. Uh, maybe a very important piece of advice for for people who are trying to do it. It's really challenging to if you start building your experience, if you start designing your experience on technology that hasn't been delivered yet. Uh, this is a this is a mistake that some people do, and this is a very dangerous one. So we whatever we architect, we design, we always do it taking for granted what is already available and not what is coming up. So. What this to say that we've already kind of built uh, built all of our design and our architecture around you know the 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 current constraints that you have to run things on chain, and so there are things that will run on chain and, and some that will run off chain, and that's going to be okay uh, for for what we have in mind. I think eventually, we'll we'll upgrade this, but it 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 won't be a, an issue for us. Where um, what I'm looking at right now very much is. Uh, two things. Uh, the first one is how we can we kind of improve the accessibility to high-end experiences. Uh, of course, what matters is that you don't need a, a hardcore PC game uh, or a hardcore um, a PC workstation to be able to access the game uh, because that would be too limiting and we want you to be able to enjoy it from every type of platform, every type of device that you have in a very, like, really device-agnostic way. So, um, technologies that help this, whether it's pixel streaming or other form of, uh, of approaches to kind of uh, reach the same goal. And the second thing is that, of course, uh, these worlds need to be populated with content. We need to empower our players, our communities, uh, the third-party developers that will contribute to the experience in a permissionless way, but as well as our own capacity to um, avoid the, the pitfall of MMOs in the past where the developers were basically running on a crazy treadmill to, to be able to keep up with the, um, you know, with the, the right pace of, uh, of content delivery. And so for this, of course, um, working with uh, all the tools that can improve your, your, uh, your capacity and your productivity, in particular right now, it's a generative AI. Um, we're, we're, we're experimenting a bunch of stuff that are very interesting with our, our team, of course, being very mindful and respectful of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the IP and the property rights, because this is something that matters a lot to our, to our artists, which, which obviously makes a lot of sense. So those are really the two areas right now that we're kind of looking at. Yeah, that's great advice, uh, not to build, um, presuming uh, technology that hasn't been developed yet. I'm wondering, and this is a question for both of you, since uh, I think we do have a number of uh, uh, founders or aspiring entrepreneurs in the audience, uh, what other advice do you have for people looking to build something in the Web3 space? Uh, for example, challenges that you've uh, faced and overcome? 
I'm not sure if this is a question for, for Ben specifically since he's actually in the weeds of doing it, but I would say one of the biggest challenges, maybe just uh, just kick it off, one of the biggest challenges that Web3, web, uh, web people from Web2 game design and game developers moving to Web3 have is around um, sort of uh, the sustainable game economies. And the I would think the biggest one is the certainty that they wish to apply when they make a product is, is hard because in... You know, a Web2 game, the entire ecosystem that you're building is completely one that you craft and is controllable by you because there can never be outside factors that enter into the space. Uh, but what I find sometimes many Web2 game designers who are very talented and brilliant struggle with is they try to sort of map out all the eventualities, what happens, um, which in a Web2 game can sort of, you know, let's say, translate itself into sort of third-party effects, but it's far more limited. Whereas in Web3, you know, you're entering a global economy, right? You're entering, you know, if you build on Polygon or you build on Ethereum, you're actually entering a world where, you know, there's already liquidity in the market. There's already other parties who then use your assets in a way that's, that you might disapprove of, for instance, or you think is not, is not appropriate. Uh, and that becomes part of that equation, right? You know, when, 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 when the U.S. enacts a monetary policy, then the rest of the world has to react to this. It's not just that you can say, I don't care about this and I can sort of live in isolation. And then you have to react to it in your game that you're building or in the metaverse you're building to those market forces or those externalities, which is much, which is very different from a, from a way to game company. And, and that's one part that I think a lot of them really struggle with in the beginning, um, as opposed to embracing it as something that ends up becoming quite dynamic and interesting and beautiful, but of course, you know, comes with its headaches when when you're when you're not used to that. Uh, sort of this this certainty or the fact that there is no certainty um, is the fact that I think many of them struggle. In at least my observation, but yeah, Ben, you probably have lots to add here. Yeah, but I, I would actually go very much in the same direction. The, the the biggest struggle I think that we that you face coming from the the web two world is uh, is culture. You know, and, uh, you uh, I, I think what I see and what we also experienced that there was back then was uh, uh, kind of this uh, this idea of oh, okay, we're 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 going to become. Uh, we want to start building web in in a web three way, and so we're starting to add a little bit of web three ingredients. Uh, while actually you need to completely like kind of reset your your whole company culture, like everybody has to embrace this, have to understand what it means, because everything is different. Um, and so, especially when you work with people with a lot of experience, uh, you know, people have been building games for twenty years. It's um, you, you need to have those who um, are not too assertive and are uh, humble enough to be able to 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 accept that they have to relearn a lot of stuff. I'm very lucky here because I have people who are working with me who have been making some of the most successful games in the past, but have this kind of level of wisdom to um, to you know when for some people when you grow when you get older you you realize you know less. Some others think that they know more, so I I like I like the first group better, and especially in this space right now. So it's a it's a big process of kind of unlearning and learning a, a complete new way of doing, which is kind of what Ed is saying for 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 the designers. But everywhere, it's also how you uh, going to do community development, marketing, like all of these uh, have to, has to to be completely challenged. So that's that's the big challenge, but it's also such a such a great opportunity to be honest. For as far as I'm concerned, I've been loving every minute of it. I think we're uh, we're all familiar with the uh, this well 
how easy it is to build something on your own and how hard it is to build something collaboratively, uh, kind of uh, getting input from a, a lot of different places. And in the case of Web3, uh, we're just increasing the, the number of uh, owners, so uh, it makes it even more difficult. But, uh, but hopefully that results in an even better product being made. Um, one thing, I, I can't help but ask this, it kind of goes back to tokenomics, but it's related to uh, talking about in-game economies. Um, lately, I've been wondering if if uh, game companies are going to have to start hiring economists to design their, their in-game economies, because it seems like they're, they're on a path to become as complicated as real-world economies. Um, and now, maybe you're already doing this, uh, but I'm curious what you think about that. Um, hmm. I, well, so I mean, obviously, the answer, to me, the answer is absolutely yes. As far as we're concerned, um, we're pretty lucky because I'm an economist myself. I actually, actually uh, studied at the, the School of Economics of Chicago. So when when Yet was mentioning Milton Friedman, uh, I've, I've been very lucky to to have some of his uh, scholars as as professors, as teachers. The, the the truth is this has already been uh, a process uh, you know in in when you build large scale game economy you you've already been uh, kind of looking for this type of profiles if you look at ccp on Eve online if you remember um that the the the, the chief economist at uh, at valve uh, was uh, who became the, the prime minister of greece uh, shortly after, so I, I, I don't think it's anything super new for for game companies, um, and it just makes sense, and it will build it will build better better economies, and also potentially, and I, I do believe in that very much, uh, that games will become a really interesting platform for experimentation that can also serve uh, the the physical world because we'll have uh, you know in a, per, a world of perfect data a digital world of perfect data we'll be able to run these experiments see how these new systems work and uh, and hopefully take some extract some learnings and apply and apply them in our physical world I, you know one thing to add on on this is the uh, opportunity for people who have economic ideas um, that aren't fully sort of you know you need economists or people with economic experience to sort of add input, but they don't necessarily always have to be people who have, you know, are economists, economists per se, because one of the nice things about this is that you now have the ability to experiment on economic ideas in conjunction with others and see how it plays out. This may have, you know, obviously some effects that might be undesirable, but it does allow you to do things that, you, you know, games are in a sense a simulation. Many of the experiences that we have seen in gaming today have been have started to apply in the physical world um, or in other product design worlds you know this term gamification you know actually is something that emerged because of video games <clears throat> creating fun experiences now it's actually part of everyday product design uh, in terms of you know whether you know even the like button is a form of gamification that is basically sort of you know taken over if you will sort of the social web uh, so there's things that you can experiment in the gaming world that you can now then translate into other parts of the industry because you've seen it work. And I think the same will happen for financial systems, for instance. I think gaming economies you know, will go through this rapid iteration in a way that we can then learn something from the, that we can then maybe translate in a better way to the actual financial system. So I see it 
a little bit the other way as well, which is that it's not just people who have financial experience introducing their experience into games. I actually see gaming as introducing experiences to the financial world that they can now hyper-simulate that you couldn't do uh, in traditional financial systems for obvious reasons. Yeah, such an interesting point that, uh, that this would allow us to run simulations and run experiments in a much more precise way than previously. It does make me wonder, I mean, thinking back to the origin of crypto, uh, Bitcoin emerging out of, um, uh, you could say, the actions of, of central banks and uh, centrally planned currencies. Uh, now, thinking about in-game tokens and uh at least right now, and probably for the foreseeable future, these tokens will be largely controlled by developers. So you could kind of call that like a, a central bank within a game. Do you think uh, we would potentially see like a, a sound money backlash within these games, uh, similarly to what we see in the real world? I mean, I think this is part of the evolution, uh, for, for sure. I mean, I think you could argue that some of it is already happening in terms of backlash, in terms of, you know, maybe how treasuries are used or, you know, um, sort of founders or sort of people managing the community treasury in a way that it's not right. You know, one of the things that we're seeing today with the construction of DAOs, uh, you know, one of these evolutions right now that's evolving right in front, right, right this very minute is what we see, for instance, happening with ApeCoin, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a special counsel of. Uh, and what's happening here is that the community has sort of voiced sort of things that they want changed and, um, and, and how, how certain aspects are done. And, you know, we're talking about, in this case, you know, a very substantial treasury that is potentially on the line here. Um, all for good effect. I mean, I'm, I'm very sort of excited about this because people are emerging from space who don't come from the traditional backgrounds with well intentions, uh, sort of, and, and obviously wanting to do the right thing with the kind of energy that uh, you, you don't normally, you wouldn't normally see unless you have a stake in it, for instance. Right. So I think, I think, you know, when you talk about the games, one thing we didn't talk, cover, cover too much and probably don't have enough time, time to do so is that games themselves are going to probably be operated by DAOs. Right. Think about sort of what is a game. A game is a community of members who have an interest in the success of the game itself. But what actually voices do they have to say or influence any direction of the game? And mixed in that, of course, you have people who are there also for self-interest or people who don't want to lose their status or people who, you know, all of that creates sort of uh, these, these voices that may seem chaotic, but actually are very, very important because they do shape that particular society in question as we do in the real world. Yeah, uh, we're just about out of time. So I guess to close, uh, I'd love to hear what the two of you are looking forward to. Uh, I mean, it's been such a tumultuous year. Uh, who knows what 2023 will bring? But are there certain things that you're looking forward to in the next one to two years, uh, both uh, inside the spaces that you're working in and maybe in other uh, parts of Web3? So, you know, I'll have uh, Ben sort of close it for us, uh, but maybe just a few things. First off, yes, 2022 was very tumultuous. And I take great sort of uh, comfort in the fact that having gone through, you know, not just a macro crisis like with war and rising rates and, you know, macroeconomic backdrop, but also really, if you think about it, a number of nuclear explosions that basically happened in our industry, mostly in the money crypto side of things, of course, but generally speaking, you know, it's been a tough year. You know, it's been so tough that people aren't even talking about the hacks, right? Everyone's like, who cares about the hacks? That's just, that's just, you know, what's happening with all this stuff, like with FTX and so on. Um, but we're still here. This is the thing, you know, despite everything, despite sort of all the shakeups that, that happen, have happened, 
um, the, the the energy um, of the industry, the excitement about the space. Sure, value may have dropped, but the builders are here and the communities are here and they're building and they're not giving up. In fact, they've become, you know, in fact, if anything, it's cleaned up the act, you know, with, with, with exchanges posting their proof of reserves, for instance, and creating more transparency and, and ensuring that this type of thing can happen again and coming together. That, to me, is a sign that I think next year, 2023, uh, moving on to 24, is going to be broadly a positive one because we've sort of cleaned up our act more and more. And of course, it also means that regulation uh, is going to come in faster. If you look at Hong Kong, for instance, you know a lot of people don't even know that Hong Kong has not only put forward a virtual asset policy, uh, they've launched their first Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs just, uh, just a week plus ago. Uh, which is a big deal if the fifth or sixth largest exchange in the world is doing that. Um, contrary to what people think, you know, the region might be doing, it's it's opening up very quickly. So macro backdrop, I think, is great. And I think uh, gaming itself, with titles such as Life Beyond, which really have the quality that will bring in, you know, the sort of Web 2 gamers into Web 3, are, are, are going to usher in sort of hundreds of millions of users in in the next couple of years into the space as gaming has always done right i mean mobile phone adoption didn't happen because uh, it was great utility per se it happened partially actually in large part because of gaming you know things like angry birds for instance actually brought in uh, the mobile industry in in a big way even today the top grossing apps are typically games for instance right so so games has been the virtual utility of onboarding really for the last 30 40 years of our digital existence and I think the same will happen in Web3. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I really believe that we're entering a very, uh, very exciting time. Uh, first, it's, uh, it, even though it was, it's been hard for everyone, it's, uh, it also helped us to, it really gave us the opportunity to focus on the right things, uh, you know, to, rather than um, trying to get like really short-term victories, really build something that are very sustainable and for the long run, which is uh, a fantastic opportunity to be honest. When when you when we're in our position to be able to to focus on on you know how we can build for the next few years and not just try to um, be more uh, you know just visible and have really short-term wins. Uh, so that's the the first thing I, I think that. What I'm really excited excited about and what's coming up is actually the, the kind of this combination of uh, regulations coming up, uh, combined with the um, a better understanding of the Web3 ethos. All of the dramas that we have experienced never really challenged decentralization. It was kind of the opposite. Uh, all this happened because of too much centralization in the hands of a few, and and I think now people start to get to understand better what we were trying to advocate for all this time, you know, about like really going fully in this whole decentralized um, um, mindset. Now, we're going to participate to the education uh, because when people will come and join games like Life Beyond and be, because they will be interested in the, in, the, in the fun gameplay that we'll be providing. And at the same time, and we, I think we'll have stuff coming up, uh, coming out in the next few weeks where we're building like some super, uh, very easy to understand educational content to understand what, what is the blockchain, what is an NFT and how to, this, what is Web3, how it works. And, and what in a way I'm very much looking forward is that uh, and I don't think it will be in 2023, but who knows, maybe in 2024, we stop talking about Web 2 and Web 3, you know, and we were just in this world where um, 
what you know the technology behind doesn't really matter and what matters is the mindset um, and is the culture uh, behind all these experiences and and then we'll be able to start onboarding people and they won't have to go to worry so much about you know all of these kind of required steps right now so i i think 2023 is going to be interesting we're going to recover but 2024 is when uh we'll, we'll be in this position to really go full speed uh, into uh into mainstreamization yeah lots to look forward to uh, and where would you like to send people after this to uh, find out more about you guys or what you're working on? So when it when it comes to, uh, of course, you, you guys should always follow follow Animoca brands because there are Animoca is present in so many uh, in so many companies and through so so many investment in portfolio companies and, and subsidiaries. But uh, specifically for Life Beyond, just uh, come and follow us on our socials. We have, we're, we're present everywhere now at Life Beyond on, on Twitter, at playlikebeyond.com on our website, uh, our Discord that is growing uh, every week. Uh, we have more than 25,000 people now, uh, which is pretty, and it's really getting really active. So um, come see us. We'll, we'll, super, uh, we'll have a very active community, very welcoming, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to onboarding each one of you. Uh, and and we'll have some really uh, great stuff coming up. Uh, start starting as early as twenty twenty three with really some cool stuff every month. So uh, so check it out. Amazing! Thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank you so much. Thank happy you holidays. Much. Yeah, happy holidays. Uh, all right, that was Yatsu of Animoca Brands and Benjamin Charbit of Darewise. For those of you who joined us midway, the recording of this space will be posted momentarily and released as a podcast in the coming days on podcast platforms. Uh, we're ramping up to have these spaces at least once a week on all things Web3, so follow us on Twitter at uh, coinpost underscore global so you don't miss out. Uh, one important announcement, CoinPost is hosting a conference in Tokyo next summer That'll bring together Web3 companies, entrepreneurs, developers, VCs, and investors from all around the world for two days of incredible sessions and networking. Uh, we'll be dropping more details soon, but it's called WebEx, and it'll be held on July 25 to 26, 2023. So we hope to see you here in Tokyo. Uh, yeah, Ben, we'd love to see you there. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for that. I'll Thank you. Be hope to, hope to see you there. Anyway, so, yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Lastly, bear in mind that nothing said here was financial advice. Crypto investment is risky and you could lose everything you put in. There are fundamental differences from traditional investment. That said, we think this is absolutely the space to be watching. So we hope you're as excited as us to learn and join our community. That's it, folks. Happy holidays if you're taking holidays and have a GM. GM Radio.